to the Unsuccess Podcast, the podcast where we talk about faith and ministry here in Portland, Oregon. I'm David Libby. And I'm Josh Hawk. And today we're really excited. We have a um, pastor, author, of um, pastor of Imago Dei Community yeah. here in Portland. Well, uh, and one of the coolest guys in Portland, too. And one of the coolest guys in Portland, <laughs> uh, Rick McKinley. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Mm. Oh, well, Rick... Um, Introduce yourself, like how, how long have you been in Portland, um, and maybe tell us a, just a little bit, a, a snippet, you know, of what brought you here. Uh, yeah, that's great. Backstory. So um, I grew up in the Bay Area in Sacramento, never went to church in my whole life, and uh, I went to Chico State because it was the number one party school in Playboy in 1987. Nice. So. I thought that's a that's a degree that I can really pursue. <laughs> something I can put my life behind. Yeah. Uh and, and kind of burned out on the whole party thing and went home and, and walked into church. Uh I, I was either gonna go to AA or church. I just needed something. I had hmm. had to shift gears and I walked into church on a Palm Sunday. I had no idea it was Palm Sunday. Literally thought they were gonna read my palm, which is stupid now <laughs> as I look back on it. But uh, yeah, and so I couldn't really miss the message uh, of mm. the gospel. And at the end of the week, I was just like, "Yeah, I'm in." And um, wow. went to Multnomah nine months later. It's too soon for them, too soon for me. Uh, <laughs> but but somehow made it, and and that was 1989. So. Met my wife, got married, had twins before we had left um, Multnomah. Uh, worked in a couple churches in Portland during that time, Mount Tabor Presbyterian and a church plant in Gresham that's not there anymore. And that was, that was you know, mid-90s, so big Willow Creek, all that yeah. stuff. And, and then uh, we just went, we, we took a position in La Grande, Oregon, just the middle of nowhere, Eastern Oregon. And because I, I just was like, I just want to love my family, love kids, mm. do ministry. And so we went out there for five years. And it, it was great because I had five years in this really disconnected place to kind of read and think for myself and think about mission and and what this whole thing is about and my kids were growing up so Josh and Kaylee were around seven and and I just knew that if they're anything like me they weren't going to make it in the type of church that I was in and I had spent 10 years trying to figure out how to fit into church so we were either gonna we, we thought we'd go back to California and go mm -hmm. into business we Where's came to Portland, from? huh? Where's your wife? She's from? from Idaho, but grew up in California. Okay. So we went. To, we came to Portland to make sure we shouldn't plant a church. We had an opportunity, <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, it just felt like God was inviting mm -hmm. us to give it a shot. So, moved here at Thanksgiving of '99, and then started just trying to gather. We we really started it with a bunch of high school kids that have turned to, you know, went to huh. college and showed up in Portland. So that's so cool. Um, so a couple of things, first of all, um, twins before you were out of college, huh? Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> but you know, we were like 23 and 22. So 
a lot of wisdom and maturity. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you know what? There's no. So I'm I'm 35 and um, I have a four year old now and a seven year old. But the four year old keeps like headbutting me in the stomach and jumping on my back and you know <laughs> headbutting me in the nuts sometimes. Like, yeah. I don't. It's going to get worse. I think, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think having kids really young might be not the worst thing because yeah. I, I don't know what I'm doing now. I, right. And yeah, so we didn't, we didn't know. We you might doing, as well but. do it when you can get, uh, you know, hitting the nuts pretty hard <laughs> and walk it and off. Like, yeah. When you're in your 20s. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, I agree. We started a counseling fund instead of a college fund. Yeah. <laughs> we, we felt kind of guilty. Yeah, about, there's there's a know. there's a couple of times where I've been like, Oh, that's coming up in therapy. <laughs> like they're they're gonna be talking about me. Um so yeah, you ended up in the in the middle of nowhere, um, uh thinking about church, thinking about ministry, and then you said you're um you're thinking the the kids are gonna we're gonna lose them here and mm. started um looking at going into business um and then you said God started leading you back here was it was it like a battle for you or did um, did it feel really organic yeah it was pretty organic we came for a weekend um I remember I was at a coffee shop and I'm reading like the Gospel of John and John 2, where he changes water to wine, and I look over, and it's 180 gallons of wine. And I'm thinking to myself, like, if I was at a party, and they ran out of beer, and I was like, hey, it's cool. Uh, I have 180 gallons <laughs> in my truck, if somebody can help me pick that up. And then the next scene, he's turning over the temple and, you know, pissing everybody off. And I remember thinking to myself, like, if I was one of his disciples, yeah. even just being saved for 10 years, you know, walking with Jesus, I'd be like kind of embarrassed. Like, dude, what are you doing? You know? And and I kind of felt like God was saying, could you be this kind of this radical to love people uh, who don't know me? Uh, and I don't think we've gotten there yet. But but so I'm driving home back to LeGrand and I'm like, you should probably tell my wife that I think we should plant a church because I'm not going to tell her to, <laughs> to God. And I don't know, we were like an hour in. She goes, you know we're supposed to go. And so that was it. I wow. went back and resigned and figured out a little bit of trying to figure out how to fund it and um, never really figured that out very well and, and loaded up the U-Haul and moved to Portland. Wow, that... That's inter That story of Jesus is so it's so fascinating from that perspective because hindsight we look at that like dude, that's that's freaking awesome. You know, like right. how could you, you turn the what a, what a miracle? You know, and we assume like as as disciples, you know, like oh yeah, that's I, I'm with him. Um, but there is a level of embarrassment, you know, certainly at that time. Like oh yeah, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, Especially and, turning over the temple where they're like, you know, basically they're saying, who do you think you are yeah. like, to come in here and do this? And right. if you're like the disciples, you're like, uh, just, <laughs> yeah. just a dude that is pretty passionate. He, he had he, he had a long night. Yeah, we, we've just, been at a wedding for a <laughs> week. And, it's, uh, 
It's it's Vince. This he's not always like this. <laughs> yeah, the, but it, I wonder how long. And there's probably, I'm sure, studies out there, um, you know, some big research papers, but where something radical like that happens and then how long it takes before it becomes kind of the, the norm yeah. um, and then it loses its effectiveness, you know, and so that upside re- down reality in the kingdom of God that Jesus is inviting us into, this radicalness, that same thing that was once radical, like no longer becomes radical and it becomes kind of the cool thing and the socially acceptable right. thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the scriptures are very domesticated in how we read them. Hmm. Um, because, you know, really just from having them read to you in a context of church, which is usually how you first hear them, they're, it's very sanitized, you know. The Good Samaritan, uh, right, It's we see it on hospitals. Like, yeah. It, it's not yeah. the good ISIS fighter or the good, yeah. you know. And so I think part of our job is to try to rescue the Bible mm. so that it can say what it's been saying, you yeah. know, for 2,000 years without the... Yeah, I remember a number of years ago when I had that aha moment of, like, the Pharisees and throughout Scripture, I'm like, wait, that the church today is the Pharisees of Jesus' Ooh. day. You know, like... Growing up, I grew, you know, grew up in this, like, oh, the Pharisees were the bad people in the world, you know, and like, uh, n- no, that's, that's yeah. the religious people, even of today. And um, they're the only people that he really gets pissed at. Right. You know? yeah. yeah. He's got mm-hmm. compassion on the, the people outside in the world. Um, tell us a little bit about Imago's story. Um, so, yeah. um, planted... Was it uh, 2000? Yeah. Um, and and what's been what's been your journey kind of through that? Yeah, we I mean we started out of our house um, with like 15 people. Just you know, I think in the early days of the 2000s, there was a lot of there was sort of a shift, maybe nationally in terms yeah. of a seeker movement to more of what I would call a missional kind of focus movement. Yeah, we were in college right around then, and yeah. that was like Dan Kimball, um, yeah. like that, a lot of this emergent church, and uh, we were just inundated with, yeah, with that, that in our that was like a, There was like just a very brief moment of that. I remember we were, there was a gathering in Glorieta, New Mexico in 98, where a bunch of us sort of descended on this place, and and um, we we're all really sensing and talking about the same things. Mm-hmm. Sadly, it only took about 10 years for it to drift into yeah. typical fundamentalist and liberal, mm-hmm. you know, like categories. But, but there was a moment there. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, when I started Acts 29, like early, early, and the first gathering for that was like me and Driscoll and Chrissy and Doug Paget and Claiborne mm-hmm. and uh, Andrew Jones, tall, skinny Kiwi. And like, it was just this like crazy group of people, but yeah, we were all quite, saying that's quite the, the mix. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah. Um, you look back at it now, right? Cause you see where everybody's at. <laughs> right. But in the moment we were, and we're in like Boca Raton, just at this mm. church with all this money 
<laughs> and we're just like walking around. And it was, but but we were like, you know, smoking cigars on the beach at night, talking mm -hmm. about writing new creeds and just dreaming of like what what could the church be if we really thought about North America as a mission field. And then um, the following year, someone pulled out a doctrinal statement and it huh. all blew up in sure. our face. And uh, I kind of stuck around uh, because I had been funded by a church in Spanish River Church in Florida and agreed to pay back X amount. They funded my salary for like a year. Um, so I didn't feel good about taking the money and run, but a lot of those guys had no problems with it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so so we were just that was sort of the climate, you know, like McLaren was there and it was it was just a beautiful it it, it had the makings of something that could be really beautiful. Hmm. Um and that and so when we came, we didn't know really what we were doing or what we were gonna be. We we had sort of our own vision, and I felt like God killed that really quickly. Huh. Um, and because, you know, we had all these college kids, 20-somethings, that were like, I want to read Noob again, and I want to study mission. And and so we, were, like, we weren't doing little Bible studies. They were going deep into this stuff, but oh. they didn't want to, like, talk to non-Christians or hang out with really broken people. So we were becoming this, like, mini-singles ministry yeah mm. and um and i just like we said the problem that we have is is not that we don't know how to go love the people of portland it's that we don't want to and i didn't know how mm. to change anybody's desire mm. um i just knew the only thing that could do that would be to get them before god and so i said we're gonna meet every wednesday night and repent mm. um which is like not the best way to start your church <laughs> And so we gathered, and it was it was really beautiful and like terrifying for me because we had this great group of people, but they're so honest, right? And I mean, Don Miller was in there at that point. And we're just all sitting around, and people are like, uh, "God, I hate my neighbor. That guy drives me crazy." Or <laughs> the next prayer was, "God, I don't even know if I believe in you." and it just kind of went around the room, got even worse and worse, and I was driving home going, well, you know, I tried to plant a church, so that just blew up in my face. <laughs> but, you know, after nine months, I would say, of doing that, we saw authentic expressions of kind of missions show up. Um, two girls adopted a low-income apartment complex for a year, and just it turned out to be a a rehab center for single moms where they got to keep their kids. So, you know, they we ended up, like, eventually driving all these women and their kids to church on Sundays. And one guy, Joe, started cooking on 6th and Pine on Saturdays at 3 o'clock because there's no services for homeless people. And just who knows what he was making in his little Coleman camp stove, you know, feeding people. <laughs> and there was 10 people and six, you know, and then it was like 100 people showing up every Saturday. And mm. and we found out it was illegal um, <laughs> because you're supposed to have a food handler's permit. Um, but that, I mean, that is still going on. Three o'clock people, it's been handed off a bunch of times. Wow. And so these things started showing up mm. that were real, you know. 
they weren't like my ideas they were their ideas and I got to kind of just coach and shepherd them through it and and so that's where we started our first offices were on 8th and Burnside uh right across from where the Doug Fur is now it was actually a Chinese food place with a rent by an hour hotel and uh, pool tables in the middle of the Chinese food restaurant. And oh, that's rad! Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was Portland of the nineties. Yeah, you know? <laughs> it was not. It was not Portland now. <laughs> so a uh, couple of thought. I mean, that's a that's a great, beautiful story of um of people like starting to live out a real, authentic missional faith. Um, how, cause I, I know you still have a very, um, missional mindset and your, your, um, community does as well. I'm also sure that it's different now than it was. You've learned a lot. You've learned what is illegal and what is legal. Um, and I know that sometimes in ministry, you just don't care. Like, uh, yeah. Who who cares if it's illegal to hand food to this homeless person? I'm going to do it. Like that's that's right. fine. Um, you know. <laughs> well, the food handler's permit is five bucks and right. an online test, so we're like, we could shut the it, cops could shut us down. It's super or we easy. We could like get one for five bucks. Yeah, that one's I. I just never really understand with the food handler's card. It's an open book test. Like it, no one's learning jack in that. <laughs> um, but um, like how. How do you now have, um, do you, do you still have people organically deciding, Hey, I, I want to do this thing. Can this be a ministry of our community? Like, does that still happen from the ground up? Is it on a much bigger level or a, or a different kind of level? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Yeah. So we have, we've maintained the idea that pastors don't start ministries, Mm -hmm. um, so we we've created because as we <clears throat> as we got bigger, maybe it was harder to identify like who mm-hmm. is dreaming this up. So we created a thing called missional grants, um, where essentially we have anywhere from you know thirty to fifty thousand dollars a year that exists to help launch ministries and micro businesses. And so we have a team of lay people that have different skill sets and then people bring in like, here's my idea and they'll work with them on that idea and they'll, and then they'll like discern what, like how much to fund out of that. So that's all driven by lay people. Uh, Or they'll say like, this actually isn't ready, but you know, these three people are going to help you bring this to fruition some of them become big nonprofits like Epic. Uh, I don't yeah. know if you're familiar with Epic, and some of those, and then others just stay really. Isn't that how like Ben started um, the Portland Leadership Foundation? Which no, is... Ben didn't start that through that, but we did start um, Every... the foster care the embrace, stuff. Yeah, yeah, and then oh, and embrace. Then... Yeah, that came out of. Uh, it came out of like three families at Imago that okay. got a missional grant. Yeah. Uh, and then it just kept sort of snowballing oh, yeah. and, be, and became embrace um, FPNO and all that. So, so yeah, it's those seeds though that you get to watch and go, oh, like this yeah. family had this idea of these welcome boxes, and two years later it was like massive, multi hundreds of churches, all this stuff happening, and now it's you know all state 
and 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 that basically you're just basically saying how can we sense what the Holy Spirit wants to birth? And sometimes they're, you know, man, the the wind is blowing and he wants to do this thing. And other times it's small and just faithful people showing up, handing out socks and cigarettes to teenagers who live on the streets, you know. Right. That's that smallness. So there's a story that, that you told years ago that has stuck with me and resonated with me. But it's, it's this idea that God has called us to faithfulness and obedience rather than success. Um, and sometimes actually like that radicalness, it has been it like in people all along and we just can't see it. And so you shared a story um, about, I think it was like a day of service where you showed up to a school and the, the news came, you know, and like yeah. a big deal. And here there was... I forget if it was like a local pastor or a janitor or somebody there, and they'd been there for like twenty years doing the same. Yeah, like no, plugging it away. It was the African American pastors. Um, it's when uh, this big wake up call of like white church, uh, particularly white right. evangelicals, gets so much play. Yeah, um, and Will Hardy, who's passed away now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he said, "You guys show up and to spread bark dust, and the news cameras come, and we've been trying to clean up the inside of the school for twenty years, and nobody will help us." And and I, <laughs> I was just like, "Bam, oh, two man. by four. That'll and, put you flat on your back." <laughs> yeah, and I remember calling Kevin Palau and, and just being like, "We need to." Quit talking about this as the Church of Portland. Mm. Like we we are missing a, a large, if not bigger, majority of the church, um, and, and that really pushed for me and Imago the, uh, down this road of diversity that mm. we've mm. kind of been challenged and by our ignorance and humbled and learning a lot over the last six, seven years. How so? How are, um, in what ways are you um, learning? And Well, speaking? we brought on Eric Knox, who was a good friend of mine for a long time. He's He pastored, he started The Well when I started Imago. Um, then he went to L.A. And he, and now he's, he runs a nonprofit called Hala um, and coaches at Benson and has turned their program around. But really, it was just a matter of, of bringing people on the staff that were more diverse, giving mm-hmm. voice um, to, to people of color, uh, like after the election, you know? Yeah. Going yeah. Like, here's how our brothers and sisters are feeling, um, right. our black brothers and sisters are feeling particularly. And, you know, that... I mean, we lost 300 people after the election. And so we just started pushing into these issues. Actually, Eric come on staff about six months before Trayvon Martin was shot, and it became a national oh, conversation. Mm-hmm. So so we've been just trying to learn and figure that out. We, we planted a, a campus out deep on the east side, like in the David Douglas School District. Yeah. That's where my kids went to school. And um, that, so Imago East Side looks radically different than Imago down, yeah. downtown. Um, yeah, we got a long, long ways to go, but we're trying to figure it out. That's good. Um, that's, yeah, that's really good work. Um, 
One thing I've always appreciated about Imago is that um, you you do seem to have this um, collaborative mindset and not this, uh, like, this is what we're doing and y'all can join us if you want. I've seen you show up at a lot. I just saw you um, uh, join in with the Prayer for Peace gathering uh, about a week ago, which I really appreciated what you had to say there. Thanks, um, but, uh, yeah, I was actually there. I, I didn't know they were going to have clergy go forward, and I was wearing a Winnie the Pooh hoodie. <laughs> that was, yeah, yeah. I was I was a little bit pissed. <laughs> I was like, oh, cool, news cameras. That's hey, I wasn't. Very I mean, everybody had, like, this garb on. I was standing there in a flannel shirt. I know, I know. I was like, I, you could have tipped me off, dude. Um, but, but I do appreciate that you... You don't, you, you all have never seemed to be like, um, we're, we're after the funding and the status and what we're doing. You, you seem to jump in on, uh, what other people are doing and you have a lot of people looking outward. I'm, I'm connected with some people, um, in Imago and Imago Eastside that, uh, it never... It never seems to be a brand or anything. It's just the church mm. living as the church, and in whatever connections they have, uh, that's fantastic. Um, has am am I am I wrong in saying all of that? And if not, like, how did? Yeah, was that intentional, or do you just see collaboration as a a good thing to be doing? I mean, I think it's. I think you have to be intentional about it because otherwise. Mm. In our nature, we're going to build our own kingdom, you know. Sure. About five years in, I really was captured by the whole theology of the kingdom of God. And um, and when you allow, like, Jesus's gospel of the kingdom to, to be the lens that you start thinking through, then you recognize, like, we, like, Imago because we were on a gr pretty steep growth trajectory that we didn't anticipate when we started. In fact, we had a conversation when we ran out of funding, like we were bivocational. And then for whatever reason, it grew. And that was almost like a totally bizarre you right. know, thing. But in order to like keep pace with that, there was a decision that we had to make like, okay, are we going to just keep adding services and keep whatever yeah, yeah. and becoming this thing? Or do you give it all away? Like, you know, which is kind of the upside down kingdom. You don't yeah. hold on to power, you use it to serve. Um, and so from very early on that, that was sort of what God told us. Like you got to hold everything with open hands. It's not yours. Mm. But, but what we, I guess what we've learned is that pastors are very, um, like we're pretty immature when it comes to joining other things. Mm -hmm. okay. So, so we learned early on that if there was this neutral kind of place that you could take all your best practices and lend it to, um, then other churches would jump onto those mm -hmm. because they weren't like Amagos. Right. And so we did that with Kevin Kalau, yeah. and because Luis had such, he has just such a good rep um, that churches would would buy into what he was doing, and 
And so that idea of we're going to give it all away, we're going to plant our best people, we're going to, um, I mean, we had, we had people that, we had about 50 people that moved to Salt Lake to plant a church with wow. like kids and stuff. Um, but there was something about that that I feel like God's always honored. And like mm-hmm. we lose people to a church plant, we gain people back. Um, Does it get easier? Over time, or like, is each time it's like, what am I doing? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, are you talking about planting or, or just like giving it away? Giving it away. No, yeah, it's brutal when you watch people take credit for your ideas. You know, yeah. and you just kind of sit there, and you actually don't highlight your stuff, which which would build your platform. Build, you yeah. know what I mean? Right. Um, so so people think of whatever and they go to somebody else and you're just this like yeah i'm just a dude that pastors a church uh when in reality a lot of the people and ideas have come from kind of within yeah but if you're i mean even now it's stupid to be talking about because the reality is like who who cares about amago or rick mckinley you know like the bottom line is these ministries are starting and we get to kind of just be the the people who applaud it on the on the yeah. back end, you know. Yeah, yeah. You say who cares about Imago? Who cares about Rick McKinley? I heard uh, I heard Scott Erickson, uh, painter, doing a talk recently, and he's like, "You're gonna die soon. You're gonna die, <laughs> and um, and that's that's gonna be that." So yeah, um, and I. I think about his his point was a little bit differently, but I, I think about like um, the the more we're living for ourselves or our brand or whatever, it's what do we got like ninety years if we're lucky, eighty years if we're lucky. Um, well, just- yeah, and popularity <laughs> like that is a you know if you want to be the cool pastor for the hour, yeah, you can be that. Yeah. Um, I was traveling around speaking a lot in the early days and getting book deals, not because I could write, right. <laughs> because our church got big, you know? I was like, yeah. there's actually people who are trained to write and who could write really <laughs> good books, but sure, I'll just keep cranking out these things. Um, but but one of the things that you realize is that the church has, like, as an entity, as an organization... We have the same issues of control, yeah, 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 and pride, and lack of generosity as the people sitting in the church do. Yeah. So, so the idea that we want you to live this life, but as an organization, you know, we're not going to give away money to whatever. We're not going to, you know, lay down our resources for the sake of others. And so what's been fun is being able to spearhead initiatives where, you know, we've been able to help like the Q Center, um, places where there's these unlikely relationships that all of a sudden the church is showing up and going, we have a no strings attached, you know, gift for you. Um, And that relationship started after Orlando. Yeah the Orlando shooting at the uh, Pulse nightclub. And I was listening to NPR and the lady's interviewing this pastor in Orlando. And she's like, you know, conservative churches uh, are anti-gay and pro-gun. So what do you have to say? You have nothing to say to this moment. And I'm like, that is the bulk of like American 
Christianity. Yeah. So we took just a small little gift over and said, like, I know you guys are suffering right now in your community. And that built a relationship where we've been able to, and, you know, and other churches are kind of like, I don't know if we should put our name on this or whatever. Yeah. But, but if we can just taste, like, what does it look like to lay it down, to give it away, to use power and influence to serve and not promote? Um, like really radical, beautiful kingdom things happen. Oh, that's so great. That's so great. I, I've always um, wondered, and it's kind of why I wanted to have you here originally. Um, I heard I, I heard you um, talking to and about... Uh, Eugene Peterson being one of your um, uh, one of your role models or one of one of the people that you've looked up to as a pastor and um, same for me like mm-hmm. he's he's a man yeah. I've always looked up to and I um, I think about him always wanting to know all the names of his people and be as invested in life with them as possible um, he. He didn't say this, but one of my seminary professors said, you need to be close enough to your people that you can call them stupid shit ass and they'll call you stupid shit ass and you'll be happy. <laughs> and um, I feel like that's that's what uh, Peterson always tried to do. And I, I wondered, like, how how is this dude who um, seemingly not of his control but uh, grew this this force in portland like um how does he see himself um uh as a pastor wanting to be the kind of pastor that someone like eugene would be and so um do you do you still um see that kind of pastoring as a um as something that you're after and how do you do that in in a church like yours yeah, um, not very well, right? I would say, like, like when when we started the church, that was the dream, and we would we did these dinners for eight when it started growing, <clears throat> and people would come over, um, and they were dinners for thirty. You know, they brought all their friends, and then we'd leave. They'd leave, <clears throat> and Jeannie and I are like, we don't remember any of the names of the people that were just here. Mm-hmm. And then the next week, but what we found is they got to know each other and, and, and it was important that they knew each other, that they were known within the community, not necessarily by me. Um, I don't think it's ideal. Um, I don't think you, I love Eugene. He was the least missional guy I've ever met in yeah. my life. So <laughs> he, he, he didn't, I mean, the irony of that though is that being who he was and sitting in a cabin and working on Isaiah and writing the message, he actually became extremely missional, right? Yeah. Like mm. everyone reads the message. Mm. But as far as like him reaching out to the community and that that just wasn't in his DNA. So, so I think I'm always balanced. Like I'm wired for mission. I think what Eugene mm. did was ground me. Mm-hmm. in like what really matters in my own formation and the formation of our people. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know everybody's name at my church and 
I suck at names anyway, yeah. so I feel yeah. like I feel like a fraud all the time. Hmm. I I learned I I feel like a fraud too because I cheat. I I learned a secret, which is <laughs> make um, them wear name tags. Intro, <laughs> well, yeah, no, mine. Uh, mine is y- you hit a point. It's like the five or six week mark where you're like, shoot, like there I should know this person by now. They know me. Um, so you grab someone close to you that you know, and you're like, have you met Julie? <laughs> then you listen for that name. You get one shot at that because if you don't know it after that, then they, they're on to you. Right. But yeah. I just say like, I'm sorry, I don't know your name. Yeah. <laughs> just swallow your pride. Yeah. Or how long have you been at Imago? 12 years. Oh, oh yeah. Cool. I'm, I'm horrible. <laughs> I'm going to go jump in a hole. But oh. so that's where I've like we've tried to focus on you need to be known. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, yeah. It's not it's not very easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um the other thing I think that uh Did you watch I, the Catalyst um video of me getting to interview him yeah that was yeah. that was that's where the, i saw that that's the highlight of how my... <laughs> i was gonna say what was it like to talk to him because i i mean i'll never get the chance now but he's uh it he, was like talking... he and henry now and have always been like my two people right i mean he is he is very introverted yeah he was mm-hmm. um <laughs> I mean, trying to get anything out of him. In fact, when we were going on stage, I said, hey, I'm going to do like a little joke to, for a crowd breaker because I knew he wouldn't get it. Um, <laughs> so I did like a Farley imitation. And we were walking back off and he's like, that that really worked. They, they really laughed. <laughs> but he was so disconnected with like reality. Uh-huh. I Cause you can buy all his uh, classes from Regent. You can get the audio of like every class he ever taught. Oh, no way. And he was teaching this class on Ephesians and it was when princess Diana had died mm. and he was, they were in London when that happened. And he said, I, I mean, I don't know who Princess Diana is. I've never seen a picture of her. And you could hear huh. the audience gasp, like, and he was dead serious. <laughs> like, he, he lived a life where someone who has 100% yeah. facial recognition anywhere in the world <laughs> doesn't with Eugene Peterson, you know? So there was a glimpse of that. I would just watch The Two Popes on Netflix. Yeah. Um, where you had Benedict, you know, yeah. and then uh, Francis is, he's humming Dancing Queen. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what him is that? It's like, Abba. It's Abba. Oh, I like that. <laughs> that was a great. That was a great show. Oh, I man. thought it was a good movie. So, Rick, there's a theme of control that that comes up. Um, this is something I think God has been kind of teaching me, and 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 it, it's hard for us to let go of control, you know. And in here, we every week we get up and we we preach to this group of people about surrendering their lives to, to God, mm-hmm. you know, and releasing control, going all the way back to that, that window with all those guys, you know, and smoking cigars on the beach and this like sweet spot. But then we like, as soon as you started to control that moment, like yeah. it, it, it goes away. Um, and so having to, there's something unsettling. I think like God calls us to, 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 keep those hands open and to, to relinquish control. Um, but it's, it's this continual 
thing. It's like mm-hmm. a daily thing of having, and, but in that there's a great freedom, there's a great liberation that, that we feel. Um, but historically we're not good at maintaining that, no. um, and sustaining that posture. You know, I, when I was at Multnomah, I was a new believer and, uh, we had just had the twins and moved, uh, across the street in the student housing from Dan and Lynn Griffith Griffin. And he's, he runs a thing called blanket coverage. They've been just covering up homeless people on the streets of Portland every night for mm. 30 years, like insane. Um, but he told me one time, he said, control is always the nature of sin. Mm. And I mean, that was 30 years ago and it, has stuck with me mm. like the nature of trying because we look at sin as like the things that we're not supposed to do rather yeah. than the yeah. motive and and so i think for pastors control and for the church in general control is a big issue mm. yeah. historically so what would it look like if we took that seriously and knew that when we're trying to control uh that's not coming from a place of mm. gospel freedom, then then there's a whole bunch of areas that we have to rethink, particularly money. Like the yeah. church is not good at, at generosity or thinking about its assets in a kingdom kind mm. of sense, you know? Um, but there is a, a radical freedom when you're like, yeah, we, have, we sold a parking lot, um, and we took we tithed off of it, but we but we hived off half of that tithe and just had a pe- a group of people from Amago that were to pray and discern like how does God want to use this hundred mm-hmm. grand or whatever, and and to have them come back and go yeah we want to use it for a program that's helping trans kids not commit suicide. We want to help it for DACA program at PCC. And we want to help with this uh, ministry out in East Portland that's being run by these two guys that just started it and they are going by the skin of their teeth, you know? And for our elders to go, okay, awesome. And then for people to like those people to show up with a check for like thirty five thousand dollars to these two guys in East Portland, they're like, "Uh, "What the heck, you know?" And but but you realize like that money isn't my money. It's not Uh our leadership's money. It's like this is money God gave us. Um, That is really hard for us to do to believe that the Spirit of God is going to speak to these 10 people as much as he's going to speak to any of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and the relationships that have come from that, I mean, it's just beautiful. But but there'll be people that are like, I don't know if I should give my money to this church if you're going to give it to yeah. whatever. Um, so I think money, power, like those are pieces where you, I know I'm just always trying to hopefully still have a check in my spirit when I... Mm. When I'm wanting to control something, you know. Yeah, I, I see one of the, the big things in the church too is is doctrine and mm-hmm. belief. You know, like we we want to control that, and I'm like, Jesus, I, I I don't see that really in in Jesus ministry. I, I mean, doctrine is the the interesting area. If 
because I wrestle with that too. Like it's some Jesus. Jesus was when it came to grace, he was like crazy gracious. When it came to truth, he was pretty gnarly. You know, like eat my flesh, drink my blood, (laughs) and loses his mega church like in one one (laughs) statement. Um, I think I think it's you know when you think of like the creeds. One of the ways that um, I've heard it is that what the what the early church fathers were doing with the creeds was trying to just say what the mystery was, yes, and to and to so build good. a hedge of protection around it, to not say more than it was, or to say, or to even interpret it, but to say this is what the mystery is, um, and and, and they're combating heresy. Right, like that whole time. Um, I think there is a way to go, like, this is what the mystery is. Um, we can't get too in the weeds, yeah, you know, yeah. because to me, then we're trying to build these bigger... So, like, we have, you know, most people have just a very general doctrinal statement, creation, da 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 I think back in the day, it was end times minutia and all yeah. this stuff. So we've gone back to like Apostle and Nicene Creed is sort of like this is what we believe. Um, but we also have like these are the five practices that that we have embraced as a community. So it's like here's the widest call that it seems like Jesus gives to anybody. Um, but also like the highest call that he gives, you know, mm-hmm. with those harder statements of pick up your cross and follow me. So there's a balance there, and I don't think we're very good at it, but I do know when we lose the tension of both the faithful presence of Jesus and the prophetic witness, right? I yeah. don't think we can lose either one of those tensions, yeah. or else we're just yeah. swinging. We have, a, we have a friend, Luke Glover. He just started a couple of years ago a church plant out of the Vineyard Movement here, and he said... I was asking him how it was going, and he said, well, we had a whole lot of excitement, and now people are realizing uh, that we want discipleship, and (laughs) and we're starting to uh, lose that excitement and that that joy, and I think that's where the... um, the, cost of truth comes in there's there's definitely a need for that but i i think like we have to trust god of course Mm -hmm. like what we're not out of god's control you know we don't catch god off guard and um i remember reading a book years ago richard niebuhr uh on like this christ and culture and seven different ways that that he identified that christ engaged in culture and like actually maybe god is using the fundamentalist movement and he's using the hippie Jesus movement. Like maybe that's all part of his plan. Like, and so those can't actually work together side by side, but in God's, in God's kingdom, they can. And he's, he's using both of those. And so like he uses a Benedict and a Francis, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like it's, it's not like we have one right way to do it, you know? And, um, and so I think that often, I don't know. It, it's that I'm I'm right and you're wrong. It's that duality. Mm-hmm. Um, huh. No, I mean I I get you there. I think I mean I 
personally feel like Niebuhr, Niebuhr's work did a lot of damage. Sure. Um, because everyone was trying to figure out, like, yeah. where is Christ with culture? Is he in it? Is he above it? Is he... And, and Newbegin, I think, had this picture that the gospel is a-cultural. It doesn't come with a culture, right? And when we impose our, you know, another culture, on, yeah, like yeah. if we assume Western culture and the gospel are synonymous, yeah. then you get this kind of colonialism, yep. imperialism missions. But if you go like the gospel goes into culture and contextualizes itself, so that what Peter says at Pentecost is really different than what Paul says at Mars Hill. Yeah. And they're looking for these windows of redemption, knowing there's also going to be windows of opposition, and how do we live? And, and this is the role of discernment. Like, I have to keep going back to the gospel yeah. for my own transformation to offer the gospel to my community because I have to be able to discern, like, are we just moving way away? Like... Are we moving into this sectarian us against Portland thing, or are we moving to this like Jesus, Buddha, whatever? Right. Um, one of the great conversations that I've been a part of recently is a multi faith conversation where I sit down with my imam friend and my rabbi friend, and we believe like, yeah, you're probably. I mean, you know, Wajdi would say you're probably going to hell, Rick, if you yeah. don't learn this, but. <laughs> but we, but we don't. We're not let, letting go of our conviction, yeah. And staying in these relationships, and it and it makes for just amazing conversation. If we had to say, "Watch, well, you let go of what you believe about a law, and I'll let go about what I believe about Jesus," so that we can agree on loving each other, you know? Yeah. We're leaving a big part of who we are at the table. Yeah. But this is going no keep. All your distinctives, but let's stay at the table. Wow. I think that feels more kingdomy to me. Yeah. Um, but does that make sense? Like, yeah. Like I think what Newbegin is fighting for is that if we're thinking like a missionary, then we recognize the gospel is going to speak good, truth, beauty into Portland. And there's also going to be places that Portland's like anywhere else in the world, and it's going to push back. I think it's how do we discern what those windows are. And then I I also think, like, Portland, there is, like, a Portland culture, but there's lots of cultures within that, oh, too. Oh, completely. And so you, there is not a one-size-fits-all. And no. so you've got Peter and Paul, two very different messages with the gospel, you know, um, contextualized. Um and so. maybe, and when, like out at the east side, we have a hundred languages or something yeah, at David well. Douglas. Like, out so you've there. got even your downtown campus and your east side campus are going to be con completely different, contextualized. Right. You know, it's like same church, um, but it's it's yeah. got to be different. It's different but it's expressions. the same undergirding. Like, what are the windows of redemption out in the east side? What yeah. are they here? Uh, and and how are we faithful to like the same, yeah, the same yeah. way of doing mission versus a model or a philosophy of ministry that you have to go slap on everywhere you go? Yeah, I like that. Um, one more thought about the weeds, like you say, like we try to get down into the weeds too much. And I did a, a research paper on um, 
children and communion? Like, when is it appropriate for children to take communion and watch it? Like looking at the history of, of communion. Um, and the thing that struck me was, I think it was right, like 1100, 1200, that the doctrine of transubstantiation, the Catholic church started to like, this started to develop, you know, and like, this actually isn't a, a doctrine that is 2000 years old, you know, but what happened the thing or the thing that struck me is that they tried to control or, or, um, articulate the mi- the mystery yeah. of there, you know, like in, I think all of us can, you know, or almost everybody in the Christian church can say there is a mystery that happens in the sacrament of communion, you know, or the Lord's supper. Right. And, and we all have, like, we, like, does it actually become the body or blood or does it just like the presence of God? Like, I don't, we, we're getting into the weeds, you know, like, let's yeah. just acknowledge the mystery that there is, grace that's present there somehow um but to see how that like became like a schism you know and and then children became kind of cast off from that just because of that trying to explain it um which that that is always kind of stuck with me you know and how how can we explain it enough you know to ground ourselves yeah still allow for mystery and I think it's that um, are we are we saying what we like? Can we be like the fathers and go? This is as far as we can go because this is what we've been given. Yeah. Or do we, are we trying to either expand it beyond what we know, or are we reacting to the person that expanded it? You know, like yeah. So yeah. if you go to like a Baptist model where it's not even a means of grace, it's just remembering. You know, hey, thanks for dying yeah. for me. Um, but if we could say like, I don't like, how do I know what it's bread and wine? Right. But for whatever reason, people are meeting Jesus for the first time at communion every week when they're kneeling, they're eating this bread. Um, I don't get it, but it's, I don't think we're supposed to get it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm. Um, I think the last thing we'll, we'll, we're running out of time here, but, um, uh, I, one thing I think I really, um, love about your community that I, I struggle with doing this a lot is that you, you tackle, uh, sensitive cultural things from Mm. a gospel perspective, like you, um, you might have been fearful, but you you went ahead on um, uh, caring for people who are working with uh, DACA folks or um, or debriefing the election for um, really anybody, but from an African-American perspective or um, caring for the Q Center or trans kids who are thinking about suicide. Like, these are all things that um, are going to make some of the insider church folks pretty uncomfortable. Um, I know I've pushed away my share of people <laughs> from our church whenever I've brought up uh, sensitive sensitive things, but um, I, like it's it's frankly kind of easy to to build a brand or whatever if if you don't go to these places um, but but I appreciate that, in your way of giving yourself away, you, you've also, um, uh, 
brought up and cared for these sensitive topics. Again, that prayer for peace is, is one of those when you were um, praying for the sins of your mm. evangelical brothers and sisters. Like that, there's, um, there's, there's tough conversations that follow those uh, yeah. stances, and yet um, you weren't scared to go there, even if three hundred people are going to leave your church. <laughs> Or whatever. Well, to be fair, <laughs> we'll, I walked we'll in leave. there. I didn't know I was going to get drug in before a news camera. Like, I walked in and we're like, Oh, oh you didn't know news there. was going to be there? No. <laughs> I didn't. And then I, they're like, Come into this room. And then I'm like standing there in front of a news camera. Oh, boy. But I, I mean, yeah, I think, I think about it a couple different ways. One is it is really hard on like our staff you know, um, who are, who are walking with people that they love and who aren't, people aren't getting it and they're leaving, you know, um, it's the, you know, after 20 years, we'll be 20 years in October. Um, I'm, I'm kind of like, am I, should I move on so that the church can just be okay? Cause I'm going to, you know, you keep, you keep making these swings yeah. and like eventually like, like when you look at the Catholic church, there's a reason they were like, the church does this and you can go, you know, start your own yeah. thing, Ignatius or Benedictine or Francis, because we don't want you coming in here and jacking up our weekly thing. Right. And, and to some extent there's truth to that. Like people sure. are just yeah. like, I can't, spin on a dime you know uh, i come here to like i'm just barely living so i'm i want the communion i want the guy to forgive me and i want to get on with my life mm-hmm. and i'm like no we're gonna now we're gonna take on diversity or, you know <laughs> <laughs> and then like be shocked that that's challenging with our history as americans but yeah. oh no we can pull it off <laughs> so so there's a there's a cost to it uh for sure I think um, for me, I'm more of a missionary or prophetic, you know, kind of that prophetic, like, how, how do we be a church that's faithful? You know, that's always yeah. a challenge. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I do think there's also a place to go, like, for this church to survive, they need stability, you know, they need some continuity. Yeah. Um, I'm not forecasting that I'm leaving. I'm just saying I... Is this a scoop? <laughs> yeah, this is a scoop. <laughs> yeah, you guys, you heard it here first. No, I mean, I just, you know, there, there's people who are, I'm like, if you're not willing to, to stretch your discipleship, like, you're going to leave. Mm. You're either going to leave eventually, because we slowly kind of revealed our cards, or we can just put them on the table and watch everybody, like, blow up. The truth is that we've probably done that every three or four years and mm. shed people, mm. um, and then mm. we'll grow again, and you kind of just bounce between. Yeah. But there, there is a, um, like, particularly when it comes to the prophetic witness, I, I think that churches looked out and saw other churches that were serving and blessing and being the faithful presence and went, yeah, we could do that too. And then you're liked and you're thought well of, but now can you show up and push against? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, 
I don't I don't think anybody would look at Imago and go, man, we should do diversity. That's gone really well. <laughs> like that that's a good thing to do. Or I mean, I would hope they would, but but it's not gonna be successful. Yeah. It's not yeah. gonna yeah. look like, oh, that was great. It it is successful, but success doesn't look like we got we're growing by yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know, leaps yeah. and bounds. And so you you have to be so grounded in like your kingdom theology so that their anxiety doesn't become yours, mm. you know. Right. And when you watch Jesus, you're like that that's goes right back to where we started, right? He yeah. he is so defined by his mission and his father that he can walk in and create anxiety everywhere he goes. Mm. And <laughs> even for the disciples. I mean, I think about when you know, the people are waiting at the house and he's disappeared and he's somewhere praying. And Peter, somebody comes to him and is like, the house is full, like they're demon possessed and sick. And he's like, yeah, let, we we need to go. Uh, we need to go preach the kingdom of God. That's right. what I'm here for. And I'm like, somebody had to go back and break the news <laughs> to those people. They're like, Jesus isn't coming. Oh, man. Uh, and I'm just like, what? So, yeah. So, like, we, if we're going to do it well, we're going to create anxiety for people, uh, including ourselves. Um, well, yeah. But we we need to, right? Because, like, I remember after the election getting an email from someone that, suburban Republican, and saying, like, I expected to come to church and hear that Jesus was on the throne. Um, but instead I heard blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking to myself, like, Jesus is on the throne in Liberia or Uganda or, like, places where genocidal maniacs have taken the throne. But people aren't like, well, Jesus is on the throne today after that election. Right. Like, and I'm not saying Trump's that, you know, he's mm. genocidal. Um <laughs> But you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like yeah. our thinking can be so domesticated yeah. that our Christianity just brings in and Jesus is just, yay. Yeah. Um, well, and that thinking comes when we're, when we're safe. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that thinking comes uh, when we, we can wake up and go out and everything's going to be fine. And we, we know that because we have, you know... $800 million or whatever poured into the military, we, we know that we're safe, and so we can say Jesus is on the throne and go with go on with our la-di-da lives. Um, it's in a mm. Uganda or whatever. Yeah. Jesus is on the throne is going to have a different um, <laughs> and I, I context. Would, I would also say the not talking about politics in church, that is a white privilege yeah. thing. Yeah. Like that's not how it was if uh, people kids were you know, if you're growing up as a black kid in a black yeah, church, yeah. It wasn't like, oh, we never talk about politics or what's yeah. going on. Like it just was woven into the fabric of your yeah. real life where we have this, you know, white churches have this very like, Oh yeah, we don't talk about these things. Yeah. Um but that actually means they're sacred to us. You know, yeah. like we don't talk about oh, things that are so sacred. Good. Yeah. And By not talking about it, we're, we're, we're talking about yeah, it. Yeah, we're, we're talking about it. Yeah. And um, so, man, 
I, like it was shocking. <laughs> like I know, like if God's saying, like I think we need to do this, but I have no clue what the fallout's gonna be. And I'm, I'm yeah, that one was. I mean, it's been. People love being missional, even if I'm just at a church that's doing mission. But when it sits down next to me, yeah, right, then it's not like mm. I don't care what, how cool or your church is or what it's known for. Like the average person is still going, like, man, I want to hear a good message and mm. hear good music, mm. and yeah, well, so that's, yeah, you know. like Jesus, Jesus, he he drew a crowd, but then he died alone. Mm-hmm. Um, like where where's the crowd? You know, like oh, that, mom, mom, you're there. Yeah, <laughs> our mom always she's got her back. Maybe, I, <laughs> mom, maybe I was crazy after all. <laughs> yeah, you were right. No, no I, yeah. So, but what's cool, I think, about Portland in the last twenty years is just to see all these these works have shown yeah. up, like uh-huh. these churches planted, revitalized ministries. Um, the way that Jesus's people are kind of being the people of God yeah, in a yeah. faithful way. Uh, it's a, like you go places. I remember talking to this guy that came up from Southern California. He's like, man, when I come to Portland, it just feels so dark. And, uh, cause you know, there's, we're seen as this non church right. thing. Yep. And I'm like, but you go to a church where yeah. like women have to inject stuff into their lips to be confident enough to go to church. Yeah. Like, that's pretty dark, you know. Yeah. Like that's dark. So, so we, like, if you're actually here, you realize this is like a moment where wow. the spirit of God is just moving wow. powerfully and launching, you know, hmm. just inspired things that happen in small ways all over the place hmm. and. So, yeah, that's cool. Hey, Rick, thanks so much for being with us and talking with us today. We really appreciate you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, Where can people find you online if they want to find more about you or your church? Intellectual dark web. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. It's true. How many many bitcoins do they need to... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I have, like, an Instagram account. And a Twitter account. I can't. Is it RJ McKinley? It's Twitter. They can just type in. He's he's the he's the Rick McKinley with the beard. The guy that doesn't do his self promotion to uh, publishers. Uh, that's fine. I bet your publishers love you for that. Yeah, it's not gone well. I bet. So I have. Um, there's another Josh Hawk who's a pastor in like Tennessee too. So it's uh, it's kind of funny. Like you Google Josh Hawk the pastor and like oh well, there's, yeah there's a couple of us. Yeah. I I did this thing for Leadership Network one time and they put some other Rick McKinley's like Twitter handle on there. <laughs> oh no! And the guy didn't like he was like playing like going with it like was just he was a pastor too somewhere and he was. Taking all their comments and responding. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, that's not my Twitter handle. So. Here's the big plot twist. He changed his name so that he could that's uh, right. he, he could, could troll people as you. Are you do are you getting these like people are creating Gmail accounts with your name and then emailing people on no, your church website? No, I just uh, asking someone, for money. Amanda, who's a pastor downtown, she was just 
posting about that, that they were... Dude, um, it's happening to so many. And, oh, that's terrible. And all these people, like anybody on your church that's leading something has their email on there, gets it, and they're really poorly done. <laughs> you know, yeah. They're like, hey, was just thinking about you, need your help. Uh, <laughs> and then they no. try to get, yeah. But that's, oh, there's dude. a place for those wonderful people that we need to pray for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll start a start some new mission to i don't know lock them all in a room (laughs) i'm not sure i'll let you take care of it (laughs) that was a bad joke um cool well thanks so much for being on um we'll we've only had a couple of people who've actually written books and crap on our on our podcast before but um crap books we've given away crap (laughs) i'm sure i'm sure it's you already said you're not a great writer you said that earlier oh, that happens you know um, that's like a humble but, brag yeah that's true to, you know pastors like we have that's this true. way of promoting Dude, ourselves so like, we'll we'll give away a copy of rick's crappy book uh pretty soon so we'll which we'll have one that of out. my six crappy books do you want yeah i've actually tried i'm i'm two years into trying to write a book and every time i i get pretty close i i just have the whole series of voices that are like no one wants to read this Mm. oh it's a i mean it's nobody reads books anymore yeah yeah so that's that's neat anyway that was a tangent uh for the unsuccessed (laughs) podcast i'm david i'm josh and we will see you next time all right